0: This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic and Epsigon. This week, I chat with Aaron Turner about WebAssembly and WASI. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 93. Hi everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Turner. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So, you are a senior software engineer at Fastly. So, I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do at Fastly.
1: Yeah. Totally. Um, so, what what is it about me? Um, so, what I do is I work on a <laughs> lot of WebAssembly. Um, I've been doing that for about two and a half years. I started getting really involved in the community. Um, and through that work, I was going to a lot of meetups and things, and I ran into Tyler, who's a CTO of Fastly, um, and they were working on this new Edge WebAssembly thing um, and kind of just the timing lined up and our interests and both were passionate about at the moment kind of did. So I joined the company and it's been going great so far. And there what I'm working on is a lot of WebAssembly work, both in terms of like bringing on new languages to the platform, but also just a lot of community work, participating in a lot of events still get doing, you know, podcasts and things and kind of just hanging out with people and having a good time.
0: <laughs> awesome. So I actually, I had, um, I had Tyler on the show um, not that long ago, um, and we talked mostly about compute at Edge, but we got into WebAssembly a little bit, and I, I'm finding this whole thing fascinating, because I remember way back in the day, Java applets, and of course, Flash, if anybody remembers that, I think that's still around, um, but this idea of trying to bring, you know, compute and more complex applications in a bytecode form, bring those to um, to the browser, um, and, uh, and that's sort of a really interesting thing. I don't think it worked out really well uh, in the end, but it seems like WebAssembly um, is a much more, uh, is a is a, is a a better shot at doing that. Uh, and I find that really, really interesting. So I'd love to just sort of pick your brain for a little while here uh, and talk about WebAssembly. But I think maybe for the benefit of the audience, um, why don't we start with what exactly WebAssembly is?
1: Yeah, totally. So um, WebAssembly, I like to describe it, or really what it is, is bytecode for the web like you were alluding to. Um, and what that kind of means, it has a few implications. Uh, two of my personal favorites are predictable performance. So when you look at something like JavaScript, it's an interpreted language, but we got really good at running it really fast. So we built a just-in-time compilers. So what that's gonna do is go ahead and read your JavaScript and compile it over and over many times and make some assumptions about what your code is doing, which can get really, really fast if it assumes the right things, but if it makes the wrong assumptions, they can get really slow. Whereas if you're running a bytecode, it's always predictably performant a really bad analogy people tell me not to say but i kind of like to think of it as like if you're driving on the freeway it's kind of like your web assembly you know like taking the freeway depending on what you're trying to do most of the time is going to be faster there might be sometimes we're taking the streets you know driving around doing the neighborhood might be a little faster but nine times out of ten if, if it's far away enough you might as well just use the freeway you know what i'm saying kind of that little thing <laughs> um so that's why i like to describe the predictable performance at least that's how it works in my head and that's like my when kids ask me or like my little brother's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, that's that's it. Um, and then another thing about it is that it's very portable. Um, so as the nature of the web, it's great for like distributing logic, wherever it may be. Um, so both portable in terms of like it runs in all major browsers, which is like a huge solid. That means we can start shipping it. Right. Um, it's very bundleable. So if you wanted to throw WebAssembly into like an NPM package, for example, and kind of use it there, that can run in the background and do some of that predictable performance for you um, in your JavaScript ecosystem. It's also very um, language agnostic. So if a I guess a parent language compiles down to WebAssembly, the actual bytecode, then um you can use any language essentially and have an interface with this JavaScript WebAssembly API. On, and then I'll get into um, it's also very portable in the fact that multiple runtimes support it. So like for example, right. Node will, it has its own like kind of adapters there. But also people have built their own runtimes for WebAssembly itself, like Wasmtime, which is a standalone runtime, and as well as what Fastly built, which is called Lucid. Um, and it's an ahead of time compiled webassembly runtime um, type thing. But yeah. Um, that's probably how I would
0: describe it best. All right, so there's a there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so what, what we can do is we'll, we'll go through some of those things. Um, but I mean, just in terms of like, um, I, I think this is where where we look at things that run in the browser. And I know we will get into this, that you can run uh, WebAssembly in more places than just the browser. Um, but running in the browser, one of the things that I think we think a lot about is security. Um, like, what does it have access to? Uh, you know, can it do network calls, can it access resources and, and local, you know, local resources, things like that. Like, what are the capabilities of WebAssembly? Yeah, thank you very
1: much for asking that because it's always like, I'm always like, performance, portability, awesome. (laughs) And it's like, oh yeah, there's also these other great things. Um, So yeah, totally in security. One thing that's really nice about WebAssembly is that it has this concept of linear memory. Um, So the idea really is is that you are given a heap or just like, the way I like to think of it from like a JavaScript background, like kind of self-taught here is just like, this is one really big array and you can't go out of the array, and you can't go before the array. And like that's all you can access. And it's sandbox. So because of that, you can't escalate out of that memory and do things with the host. So WebAssembly has a really nice feature in which this linear memory is sandboxed, so you can't really escalate out of it because um, just the capabilities of WebAssembly don't allow that. Um, and on the topic of capabilities, one thing that's nice about WebAssembly as well is this concept of host calls. So essentially, you can say, hey, um, when we talk about the host here, it can be JavaScript, like we mentioned, or one of those standalone runtimes. You're like, hey, mm-hmm. host. I know you have access to this function, let's say. Um, I want you to, like, if I call this, I want you to go do this on my behalf. So, for example, a common one in WebAssembly that people often use is like, let's say you want to use console.log, for example. Um, You can go ahead and import and say, hey, look, I want to import console.log. And when I call it, I'm going to pass it this value. And then JavaScript can then say, oh, hey, you called this function that I gave you access to, this host call that I provided. Cool, I'll go do some work for you. In this case, log out like a number, let's say, and then let you continue executing. Um so this kind of opens up some all types of cool use cases of like depending on what the host wants to provide, you can start doing some really cool things and have this security where the user can give you some code that you don't really know what it's doing, but as long as you don't allow it to like you know, you only has as much power as you will let it have through these right. host calls really. And that since that memory is sandboxed, they can't really escalate out of there either. So kind of starts to build this like very secure, like we can start trusting code that people are giving us because of these two features. Right. Which is really exciting
0: yeah so you mentioned use cases, and i I think use cases are probably the best way to sort of communicate to people what mm-hmm. uh, what the capabilities are right so great performance, linear memory sandbox security that all sounds awesome um, but if you can't if you can't explain what you can do with it right it's sort of hard sometimes to visualize <laughs> yeah. so um, you mentioned this idea of um, you know, sort of calling javascript or or being able to do those host calls and stuff, but like what are some of the what are some of like the practical use cases that that you would use it for, and maybe even more importantly like What's the use case, and then why is WebAssembly better for it?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so probably the first, so WebAssembly started off as like you know something that's for the browser. It's starting to evolve more into like serverless use cases and things. But just taking a step back, where it kind of started, the major use case here was speeding up JavaScript in the browser. So JavaScript kind of is in this interesting place where it kind of had this unwilling monopoly, I will say, on the browser where Mm -hmm. like you kind of had to use JavaScript. So because of that, lots of different companies had different interests in it and started pulling in different ways that it really wasn't ever designed for. Um, So WebAssembly kind of was like, hey, look, that whole performance thing we're trying to do with JavaScript, yeah, it's good for that. But like, let's take a little bit of the weight off of JavaScript and like give something else. Um, So I bring all this up to say that like speeding up JavaScript really. So if you have like, let's say a loop that maybe it's doing like image blurring, for example, that isn't supported by the browser natively. I don't know if
0: there was a CSS thing proposed, but let's pretend <laughs> there isn't, all right? <laughs> but um, it'll Even go if ahead. It is. Even be- if there was, it's not gonna work the same way in all browsers, I'm sure, so. Uh, <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, that's a really computationally intensive. Like you're gonna be looping around, like trying to figure out what pixels need to be duplicated, which ones don't. And WebAssembly is really good at those tasks because of that whole predictable performance thing. So what you would do is take that block of JavaScript and instead replace it with a WebAssembly module that you then pass and say, hey, look, here's like the pixels that I want you to go ahead, transform, just return back in your linear memory what the new image is, and I'll go ahead and display that. And that, um, having access to that predictable performance, then lets you do those things on the browser a lot easier, and they're not so taxing. Um, You can also imagine this same computationally intensive speeding up JavaScript is great for game engines. Like I've seen a few game engines already, like kind of take some of their physics engines and start replacing pieces with WebAssembly modules, because it's just built and designed for doing this like computationally intensive math operations and things that game engines really need. Um, and then another one is probably just general business logic. Right. So there's all types of different times where we're just like, hey, we got this like data structure, and we just got to make it look like this now for the server. Um, So sometimes JavaScript's good at that or will be, you know, it definitely depends on the use case. So that's one thing I'll note here is that like WebAssembly most of the time works. I'm sure there's that one use case where it's like, okay, fine. But (laughs) you know what I mean? But uh, nine times out of 10, let's say we have to take like some JSON. It's huge and we need to like maybe convert like these objects into like an array. Let's say, I don't know. I'm just making things up. You you get (laughs) the point. Um, I get the point. (laughs) That type of business logic where you're trying to like translate things and just stuff that's like really tedious on the CPU like you can start to put that in WebAssembly modules and then from that portability too, you can like start sharing it on different platforms and it's just, right. oh this is really exciting. <laughs> so
0: yeah. yeah. So so I, I'm kind of curious about this too. Like if you um you said you know if, if JavaScript isn't fast enough, uh, and a lot of companies sort of have to use JavaScript, or and sometimes sort of like um, you know make it do something sometimes it sh- it shouldn't do maybe. Um, so if I'm if I'm a developer now, like I, I, I love Node um, on the back end because I love <laughs> Node because I'm just so familiar with JavaScript that it's just really easy to go back and forth between the front end and the back end using this one single language. And pretty much any time you have to write something for the front end, it has always been JavaScript. I mean, you had to basically do that. Um, so is this something? Thing, though, where if I'm in, we'll get into the other languages you can use, um, you know, could I compile like an entire application, maybe a front-end app or a, a you know, what do they call a single page app or something like that, that I might write in JavaScript now? Could I do something like that, um, compile it down to WebAssembly and then sort of do a similar thing?
1: Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting question. I'm glad you asked that. So the short answer is no, but We'll get into why. Um, and it comes really down to two different reasons. The first being uh WebAssembly in its nature is you know binary format depends on strict typing. So, like you have to say, hey, I have an I32, I have a 64-bit integer, I64, so on and so forth. JavaScript is dynamically typed, Mm -hmm. and that's part of why we need to interpret it and do that just-in-time thing to figure out those types on the fly. So WebAssembly JavaScript just isn't quite designed to compile down to WebAssembly. Um, and then, 2 I'll say is that there are a, some alternatives, like, let's say um, you want to write, like, a Rust app that, like, is, like, a full spa. There's a few projects out there that do that. I've seen them on GitHub. I don't know any at the top of my head, but they totally exist. And if that's something you're into, then totally, like, feel free to do it. But um, I will make the point that, like, JavaScript, as we mentioned, it's been being pulled in a lot of different ways. But it, one thing it sure was designed for was building, interacting with DOM and building UIs. So, right. um that's why that's where I think JavaScript really excels and in, in where you wouldn't really I would say you really want to like just compile a straight spa into WebAssembly because WebAssembly is really good at those computationally intensive things. But spas, for example, like, you know, when you see those React demos of like, look, we got like ten thousand triangles that are like rendering every second, JavaScript is amazing at that because we've been iterating on making JavaScript good at that for so long. Um, Right.
0: So, yeah, I hope that does answer it. Does that make sense? It does. No, no, it does. Um, And and actually, I mean, to kind of extend that, though. there are things that you would you might want to do in a browser that are fairly uh, I would say insecure, um, especially if you have to do anything with crypto or you have to like sign a call or some of these other things. Call a, an API um, that you you know, maybe need to have a secret in that in that API call, and obviously you don't want that available via your JavaScript by just viewing source. So are those some of the things that you could potentially do with WebAssembly where you could compile down something? that you know did cryptographical signing or something like that and then with the bytecode i mean would the bytecode be could you reverse engineer that byte code? could you come back and find the actual source from that or is that something that might be secure where you could use something like that to do some of those more complex uh and maybe you know things that would add a little bit of security to your app
1: yeah so that's a really interesting question i'm glad you asked it um so i will first iterate and say uh again we're talking about that like you know that cryptographic is going to use a lot of math operations very performance intensive um which makes it a great fit for web assembly. Um that being said, on the security side of things, it gets really interesting because there is a text format for WebAssembly. It's not the same as JavaScript where you can go and view source and it's just like, oh yeah, this is totally what's running on the page. Nowadays mm-hmm. with like mangling and you know the translation it gets kind of more complicated. But WebAssembly is more of a binary format where we can kind of like do some funny things. You'd be like, hey look, you know, look, it's moving this memory here and there, but to see the actual source code's a little bit more difficult. Um, that being said, I, I'm not. I won't pretend like I'm a security expert, especially in photography space. Um, I'm not either. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I've definitely seen like some projects that are like, "Hey, look, we can make this thing secure with WebAssembly. Here's like our white paper on why." <laughs> but I yeah. wouldn't be able to confidently sit here and be like, "Oh yeah, totally. Just throw secrets in WebAssembly, and like no one will ever know what it is." <laughs> like, you know right. what I mean. Right. Um So I would definitely suggest maybe um, I could always get back to you about that, or we could... Do yeah, no, I'm just I'm just curious, out. like, I, I mean, yeah. I'm
0: thinking, you know, I'm thinking through like, where, where are the where are the, the, the places where it really fits in? Because I think that's a problem security in the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, and with with so many people using API's now, um, you know, usually, and again, a good use case for serverless is essentially setting up a function that all it does is just adds that secure key or whatever it is, uh, that access token into a third party API call so that you can just pass it through from your uh, from your browser. So if you could eliminate that step, you know what I mean, and, and be able to do some of that, I think that would be, uh, I think that'd be kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, and um, I definitely agree. Like, I you know, for example, whenever we're like importing a bunch of packages and let's say they're both accessing global scope, kind of just cross our fingers and hope they don't <laughs> do something right. they're not supposed to. Um, that is one benefit, again, about WebAssembly is that um, all that sandboxing, that linear memory and things yeah. is that yeah. only really has access to what you give it to. So like if I were to have three WebAssembly modules, they couldn't go and talk to each other without JavaScript being in between and, you know, hey, they're, you're telling this person, that cool, here you go. Like, <laughs> Let's make sure you're not right. doing anything funny between one another um, in the current state of WebAssembly today. So,
0: awesome. yeah. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about wazy, What is wazy?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, so WASI is an acronym for the WebAssembly System Interface. And this is where I kind of like, in my head, WASI is kind of like the node of WebAssembly. I know it's like, it's a very loaded term. <laughs> so please take it with a grain of salt. But um, essentially, it's a standardized system interface for WebAssembly. So you get things like uh, a lot of like POSIX-like calls, if you're familiar with like a lot of like, we're mm-hmm. getting, getting like low level, <laughs> but you can imagine <laughs> no, stuff that's like FD, write. Um, FD read. So like reading file descriptors and things, you get those access, those things. So you can imagine kind of like a node, you have like file system and that's how you would, let's say, make generate files on like a server. You use the module FS. WASI kind of like offers that lower level primitive that allows you to do those things in WebAssembly, like create files, read them and move them around your file system, which, you know, I'm kind of talking in circles. But you get that. I think I get the point. <laughs> right.
0: So really. Right. So it's, you, you, so you wouldn't use Wazzy though. Like you wouldn't use WASI in the browser, right? Um, so it gets kind of
1: funny there because there have been some, like, you know, you can use things like index DB, if you're familiar, um, to kind mm-hmm. of create a pseudo file system and start to port, like maybe let's say you want to compile something in the browser. If like, if you want to bring a C compiler to the browser, you could use the WASI things and kind of mock out, the, um, some of these system level resources as like a browser equivalent and kind of get into this funny world, um, where it does make sense, um, but WASI itself, one of its goals right now, isn't to really be running the browser, but people are bringing it there. So if you wanted to, right. again, like bring a compiler about, to you totally could, which is like exciting and really cool. And um, I think there's a talk by Ben Smith where they did this exactly for their class. Um, they taught like I think at, I forgot which university, but yeah, they made like a C compiled web, WebAssembly compiler that like took C source code and compiled it. Um, and then there's something else I was gonna say
0: about that. Well, I'm just curious. So then, if it's not really for the browser, I get it. Like everybody loves to do those things. Like, mm-hmm. oh, can I can I take this thing that wasn't built for this and make it work in that? But um, so, yeah. what what would you say are sort of the primary like use cases then for uh, for using for using Wazzy?
1: Um. So a lot of it is probably like uh, bringing WebAssembly to the server. So or yeah, probably for the server or just even standard command line applications. Wasi is really exciting. There's a lot it can do. You'll hear me say that a lot about WebAssembly. There's a lot you can do with it. Um, so really, like, I like to think of Wazzy as like all the kind of benefits of WebAssembly. So that sandboxing that you get and, um, that host call interface. Cause really what Wazzy is using is that host call. Just like, Hey, like you have access to the file system. Please do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so because you get those benefits, you, um, there's like an infamous tweet. I know I'm kind of talking. <laughs> But it's like an infamous, not even infamous, that's not the right word, but a tweet that kind of went viral by Solomon Hikes, if you're familiar, the uh, co-founder of Docker, about like how WASM plus WASI existed. And I think in 2008 is when they made Docker, that they maybe have not needed to make Docker. Mm. Um, And kind of the reasoning there is that like, if you could take different applications and compile them down and give them access using like a system interface that's like standardized and have access to things like file system, you can start to imagine this world where you get container like, functionality where you're just like, hey, I'm going to compile my whole app and all the dependencies down to WebAssembly, give it access to wazy and they can start to do things and operate um, in a sandbox way where you don't have to worry about it messing with the parent operating system or completing with other apps um, right. and things like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're on serverless chat. So a lot of serverless use case there because WebAssembly is very like, I guess lightweight and um, things of that sort. Sandbox, it makes it a great kind of contender for serverless because you can kind of just instantiate a WebAssembly module, start running immediately, and then close it down. Um, And even do things like snapshotting of like the memory and kind of doing saving state and things like that, Um, which you know we maybe get to in the future. Um, There's still some kinks um, to figure out there, just in general in the whole ecosystem. Um, But yeah, and then uh, a lot of standalone applications. So like we were mentioning, if you wanted to compile a C compiler to WebAssembly, give it access to WASI and run it on your local machine, now you can start compiling things on your actual, like, let's say, uh, through the standalone runtimes, if you just wanted for some reason give C source code to just a WebAssembly module and have it compiled. Yeah, sure, cool. And I'm sure there'll be use cases for it, because then you right. can imagine a world where it's like, I want to use the exact same file that I used to, you know, my exact same compiler binary that I use on Mac, Windows, and Linux. I want to like recompile for each architecture and each operating system. So again, that portability. And um, yeah, there's probably, those are some really good use cases I could think of at the top of my head right now.
0: Hey everyone, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, New Relic. Now, some people need dozens of tools to visualize their stack, but not you, because you've got New Relic Navigator, which means you can see your entire system in one place. New Relic Navigator shows you system-wide health at a glance. All your hosts, services, containers, and anything else you can monitor are in one dense hex view with traffic signal colors to give you an instant picture of what's alerting. And you can sort by platform, service, app, or any other tag, which makes it easy to navigate your entire system and see what needs your attention it's all included as part of full stack observability so one user gets you access to new relic navigator and everything else you love about new relic go to newrelic.com, sign up for free and start getting answers faster than ever so and, and this might be sort of a stupid question but the the i guess the um Uh, the idea of it being sort of like the node of WebAssembly in that sense, where basically that's what it is. It's its own container, essentially, that can do anything. It can interact with the file system. It's got all of the, uh, the capabilities, you know, HTTP networking calls, like it can do all that kind of stuff. And then is that something where like and uh, i know the v8 engine is pretty popular with you know sort of edge computing and things like that is that something where that can run on like a v8 engine or is there another type of uh you know another type of underlying uh i guess container management system or something that would need to run those
1: yeah so i'm i'm glad you brought this up um so one thing i'll just say as a quick note uh so HTTP is still being standardized. So all this is really young. So I just, I wouldn't want someone to be like, Oh, HTTP's in there. Cool. All right. Let me just <laughs> okay. close the tab and start running. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, so there's a lot of standardized APIs still in the works. Um, and we can get into them too, if you would like, but, uh, to answer your question of like, Hey, could you use like Wazzy inside of V8? Um, again, we can probably polyfill some things. Um, and then you could totally run it in there in like that JavaScript way. But, um, the kind of what gets interesting about that is that, um, even you know, you can run it if you can imagine a word where maybe you don't really need the JavaScript as well that V8 provides, then you're kind of like instantiating a JavaScript runtime and a WebAssembly runtime. Right. Um, whereas if you use some of these other runtimes that only support WebAssembly, you get a lighter weight um, output from it and things like that. So, um, yeah, so yes, you can use V8, but it's kind of like, depending on your use case, if you want to like to have that solid WebAssembly JavaScript relationship at all times, yeah, yeah, VA is probably the right answer. But if you just want to use WebAssembly, then those standalone runtime's going to be lighter weight for and be able to optimize specifically for WebAssembly a little bit better.
0: Right, so there are standardized runtimes for WebAssembly. Yes. Mm OK, that makes sense. Um, all right, so you mentioned some standardized APIs and, um, and, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about crypto and how that's sort of a, a good one to sort of deal with, but you've got crypto, you've got machine learning. I, I mean, I, all kinds of these complex things that, um, you know, really hard to do, especially in JavaScript. And again, I know we're talking, we're, we're now more towards the server side of things, but like, what are, what are those types of, uh, you, you mentioned they were sort of standardized APIs. Like what, what, what can those do? What are those capabilities?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I will say these are also still in flux. Like they're still being developed that um, if you want to participate, there's totally a community group for Wazzy that you could totally hop in and join. But this is just me. Like, just kind of like I attend the meetings or have them for a little bit. So it's kind of like sharing some little things that's going on here and there. Um, so yeah, one of them is definitely crypto. Uh, a colleague of mine, Frank Dennis is working on that where it's kind of like, there's a lot of common crypto applications that we would want the host to say like, Hey, like, the host runtime, we know that you're running just raw bytecode. You're not, there is no layer between you and the kernel essentially. So could you please like provide SHA-256 and make sure that it's working correctly? You won't expose the right things. So um, mm-hmm. a lot of like common crypto like functions that people are often using. Like, I, I don't know if SHA-256 is one of them. I heard, you know, you can imagine if you're a crypto right. person out there, you, you know, <laughs> exposing those like common ones that folks use. Um, in um, machine learning, I'm a little bit more familiar with that because, uh, the uh, ByteCode Alliance is a group of different companies that are working together on WASI and WebAssembly and all these specs. Um, and they recently announced they're working on a WASI NN, so like a neural network in WASI and kind of providing the primitives there of like, if we want to build neural networks on top of Wazzy, um, what are some of the host calls that we'll need? What are some of the functionalities we'll need? So we can start to like build our own neural networks right. <laughs> and, like in right. WebAssembly,
0: which is really exciting. So is that, so are these standardized APIs, again, this may be a stupid question just because I don't know enough about this stuff yet, but (laughs) is, are are those like NPM packages or like package, like, you know, Python packages from PIP or something like whatever it is like, is that the idea behind some of these APIs where you say like, I need a crypto package or I need a machine learning package or, you know, I need an image manipulation package. Is this something where there will be an ecosystem where people can write and contribute packages that other people could just sort of pull in?
1: Yeah, so um this is more like a little level above that, I would say. Okay. It's more like it's kinda like you, you can imagine um like temporal, for example, is a new date thing that's coming out to JavaScript. Mm-hmm. There's already a few libraries out there that kind of like, hey, you know, we're kinda like playing around with this like you know, this new date API. Here's like my version of it and your version of it. But a lot of the community is working together on deciding, okay, well, my organization has these needs for temporal. My organization has these. What are the compromises that we'll need to make for the entire community to have access to this one standardized like API? That eventually, for example, like Chrome or your whoever's implementing your JavaScript runtime will support natively. You wouldn't have to use a library anymore. Um, so it's, I would say it's a little level above. And I'm sure as these APIs develop, people will develop like, hey, look. Here's the current version of YNN and, and like Rust, let's say, and you can include it in your Rust program that then compiles all the way down to WebAssembly. Um, and so, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, I hope that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm like just, I'm it. just wondering here. Like, I mean, because yeah. one of the things that I think makes you know Node or Node and I mean JavaScript every uh, the, the reason why those those ecosystems grew so much was because people mm-hmm. would contribute um, to those things. So, if there's a way for people to do that. Um, you know, and know like, oh, if this doesn't do this now, like I don't have to write this whole thing myself. Like somebody else may have done this for me and I can just go ahead and and bring that in. So um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if there'll eventually be like an NPM for uh, you know, for for WASI or whatever, or for I guess WebAssembly in general. Um, but yeah, anyways, I'm just thinking uh you know that would be kind of a cool kind of a cool thing to have. So if there if if there's not one of those things out there, then my suggestion is you create one of those things and make it so that people could uh you know could contribute code.
1: Yeah, so if I could, on that note, um, like I had mentioned a little bit earlier before kind of glazed over, is that um, in the browser, at least, like I, in, technically in WASI too, you could ship like just an NPM package of WebAssembly today. And even if it used WASI, like we mentioned, there's like some little polyfills yeah. here and there, depending on what you want to do. Um, so kind of, I guess, our registry in today's world is probably NPM. And I have seen some smaller WebAssembly package manager type things start popping up here and there. Um, but... Right now, I think npm is kind of like the, the, I don't know, for a lack of better words, the king of the packages right now. And we'll see if something else like comes up to, you know, maybe do something that's more WebAssembly focused rather than like JavaScript with the dash of WebAssembly. Right. If that makes sense,
0: yeah. Right cool yeah um, all right so let's get into the tool chains here and maybe we just kind of focus on the popular ones because I'm sure there are a lot of people that are kind of going down this road but you mentioned earlier that webassembly um, was language agnostic so what yeah. so you can just write it in any language you want or what there's got to be some limitations here
1: yeah so um, there are some limit I mean it pretty much the limitation is is that is your language like willing to support webassembly Um. So especially if it's like a strictly typed language. Um, so there's like, for example, Go's working on something. I'm um, think of another, like Swift has a WebAssembly implementation. Zig is an up and coming language as WebAssembly implementation. There are some languages where it gets kind of funny. So for example, these dynamically typed ones like JavaScript and Python, they're kind of in a world War where it's like, mm, well, you know, it just kind of the language doesn't quite line up with what WebAssembly needs when it comes to being compiled. Um, so I mentioned those, but probably the biggest three right now are Inscripten, which is a tool chain for compiling C and C++ to WebAssembly. Yep. Um, a lot of folks use it. Uh, Google, I know, it has a lot of folks working on Inscription and they kind of highlight a lot of projects using it. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's a talk from WebAssembly SF in which the Google Earth team talked about how they're using Inscription to like kind of, again, take all that business logic and make it more portable across mm-hmm. where they need to run Google Earth, which is really exciting. Um, another big one is Rust. Um, mm-hmm. I had mentioned it earlier. It's a language that's grown and quite popular, grown to become quite popular. It's got another systems level programming language, but uh, Rust has like a little flavor of both, like kind of taking these older C applications. Um, I guess not really porting, but uh, like kind of building these like one off modules that like go off and do uh, like maybe you want to speed up your JavaScript serverless type stuff, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, Rust is really sh- like started to shine in that area, um, and a lot of folks are really passionate about it. Um, the community is really cool, and there's a lot of like great documentation. Rust I guess what I'm trying to say really is that Rust has like really solid WebAssembly support. Like they are right. like going all in on it, which is really exciting to see.
0: And, I, and maybe I'm, uh, I, I I think I, or just thinking back to my, like, you know, things that I've heard. Um, I feel like Rust, whenever I hear Rust, like I just think WebAssembly. Is that the wrong way to think of it? Um, Rust does a lot of different things, but they, um, it's not maybe
1: the wrong thing just because they spend a lot of time, like really building out a lot of the tooling, a lot of the community around it and things. So, um, Rust definitely also has lots of great use cases that I've seen at like Rust conferences where they run Rust on their server, they do it in games, so on and so forth. It's like a systems level, for, so programming language. So you can imagine you can run C there. Nine times out of 10, I think you could run Rust there, but uh, just their WebAssembly and like, what's the right word? Like involvement? I, there's another <laughs> word such with an I that means what I'm trying to say, but they spent a lot of time working on like creating a great developer experience around WebAssembly and Rust. Yeah, um, so yeah. Because right now, I will say like some languages like Go and things, they're still very young in their WebAssembly Mm implementation. So some of the tooling is like, good luck. (laughs) But um, um, I'm sure that will get better over time as you know more the community works on it and things. And then um, if I could transition to, there's one more um, tool chain that's really popular right now, and it's called AssemblyScript. And I'm a member of the team on that. And what AssemblyScript is is kind of a very TypeScript-like, not TypeScript exactly, but like if you can read TypeScript. Um, the TypeScript like language that compiles to WebAssembly. So um kind of our the target there is a lot of these JavaScript developers that, you know, like we mentioned earlier, JavaScript can't compile to WebAssembly. So it's like we come on, we want some <laughs> of the fun too. So right. we're hoping to maybe like uh fill that gap and giving I guess giving developers the closest thing to JavaScript that we can provide it for them that allows them to access like all the benefits of WebAssembly. Right. Um so yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. So the the assembly script thing, because um, I was you know doing some research before this, and when I saw that, I was like, okay. Now you might have me because I'm thinking like some of these other things. I just I, I spend so much time. I, I spent a lot of time in, in Node and in uh, TypeScript and, and uh, JavaScript. So for me, I was like, oh, this would be this would be really great. So I, I do have a bunch of questions on this, though. And, and yeah. I'm, since you work on the AssemblyScript team, you're the perfect person to answer these. So, so what, what are the, difference, you know, the differences between TypeScript and AssemblyScript? Is it almost exactly the same or are there like some significant things that I'd have to worry about?
1: Yeah. So, um, one thing is I'll definitely point out is that, you know, we mentioned earlier about spas, but like, just imagine most, not even uh, I'm trying to think. So like if you take like a TypeScript react app or a TypeScript mm-hmm. node app, you can't just grab the assembly compiler and be like, Hey, I get WebAssembly for free. Cool. Right. Like that's not how there's like a lot of like small fundamental differences where you have to like actually take the time to port things. But the porting comes down to like, okay, you know, this number type number isn't, again, that strictly type integer of whatever many be bits. So you right, have to yeah. take your numbers and convert them to I32s. Um, you know, if you had needed to use a float there, you need to specifically say like, I want to float here um, and things of that sort. Um, but for the most part, um, I actually wrote an article on the Fastly blog about like porting TypeScript to AssemblyScript and what that looks like. Um, yeah, I think it might even be a JavaScript application, but like, yeah, just kind of like, hey, look, there's this variable here. It's a number. We know that, but JavaScript right. does the work for us to do that. Let's just explicitly say this is a number. Um, and yeah, pretty much that's like a lot of the, the big fundamental differences. Um, there are some gotchas too with uh, some of the script. Right. Um, one of them being is that since it's young, you know, it's only, it's only like a two year old language. It's been getting popular though, thankfully. Um, its closures is a big one. So if you're doing a lot of like callbacks that call callbacks that call callbacks, um, as of right now. Um, We're still working on like kind of getting that you know working in WebAssembly memory and things, so you Mm -hmm. will have to pull those functions out to separate functions, which is a little annoying, but we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and in most use cases, yeah, you kind of have that,
0: and then so in terms of the workflow um, for some of these things, like I'm writing, I'm writing TypeScript now you know i got to compile it right and then and then i usually i usually run tests against my typescript and and then and then compile or compile and run the tests so like what is that workflow do i have to go from or i guess i just writing in assembly script which would be very similar to typescript and then just compile it down to rust like but like how does the testing work and some of that other stuff
1: yeah so that's actually probably the best closest thing. So assembly script is an NPM package that you NPM install into a project and mm-hmm. you can like scaffold out an assembly script project essentially. Um, another thing is like assembly script, it pretty much uses the .ts file extension. So if you open okay. up VS Code, it's going to be like, oh, hey, this is a TypeScript and it comes with a TS config. So .ts conf- the TS config will say like, hey, I32 is an alias for number for your linters and things. So
0: oh, okay, you open cool.
1: up VS Code, it's like, oh, this is just TypeScript. Cool. Nice. It's like, awesome. So you can just hit the ground running in that aspect like if you're used to writing TypeScript, the amount of like workflow difference should be near nothing to my experience. When you start doing some really specific TypeScript things, or if you have like small things here and there, it gets kind of funny. But um, some good examples is that even for documentation for all these SvelteScript packages I've been writing, I just use TypeDoc. Like it, TypeDoc can look through a right. and be like, "Cool, yeah, like this is this, this goes there, this goes there," and like there's almost no actual small like small things I need to do there. And in terms of testing. AssemblyScript has its own testing libraries, but I can promise you it's like extremely solid. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Aspect. It's a Jest-like library written by Joshua Tenner, um, and it—if you can—if you've written Jest or like—it it looks like JavaScript testing. It's like you okay. know, describe. It does that. You yes. <laughs> know, it should yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it may. Yeah, expect <laughs> yeah. to be. <laughs> it offers all of that in AssemblyScript. So,
0: right, and yeah. then so does AssemblyScript. So you write something in AssemblyScript. I know we were talking. So that is compiling it down. Is that using? WASI and then like, you know, what can I do? Can I pull in node packages in there? Or does everything I do need to be assembly script?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um so it what it ends up compiling to it uses so this is like really technical, but it uses this <laughs> compiler backend called Binarian. Um and it's pretty much sits at the same level as LLVM, if you're familiar. So it uses their immediate representation to then compile to WebAssembly. Um so, and then the note of like using separate npm packages, it would have to be a assembly script all the way down. Gotcha. Um, so that is one thing that some people are like, "Oh, but my favorite image thing isn't there." And it's like, eh, right, we'll right, "Yeah, we'll have to port the dependencies too," which is you know kind of annoying. But the you know the ecosystem is really growing. Um, for example, I've been writing a lot of like URL packages lately for like mm-hmm. URL parsing, um, and I saw some. Like, we have the testing library. This is someone who recently wrote a JSON parser. Um, so there's lots of little small things popping up. The community is yeah. growing, and it's all on NPM. So like, as long as you can, if it says, like, hey, look, I'm going to send this package, you just NPM install it, and then it should work in your NPM project. And I think you asked one more thing.
0: No, I was just wondering, if, again, if you had the same sort of access to some of the low-level things. So if you're compiling down to WebAssembly using um, using AssemblyScript, uh, are, are you then able, though, to do things like HTTP calls and access the file system and those sort of things?
1: Yeah, so that's what you'd ask about Wazy So, yeah, essentially you would say, hey, import WASI, and then it'll give you access to those like FD read, FD write and stuff. You don't have to directly access through file descriptors. You know, another community project is ASWASI. It's kind of like sitting at the same level of node where you import file system as like a whole word, and then it has mm-hmm. like a create file or not, maybe not create file, but you know, like read file, right, write right. file, whatever the API names are that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but we do get into this interesting place. We have like a project in the assembly script project that we're waiting for HTTP to be standardized in WASI for that is just called assembly script slash node. Because mm-hmm. ideally, since you know the APIs are so similar, right. there's nothing stopping us from creating like a very like as close as to Node as possible API where you can start to just maybe copy paste with snippets and they should just work um, awesome. because the languages are so similar. And yeah. uh, I one last ramble, if you don't mind, is that uh, no, a SummonScript is so similar to uh, TypeScript that even though you can't take a SummonScript code and run it through the TypeScript compiler. You can take a script code, do some small tweaking here and there, and get it to run through the TypeScript compilers. Mm-hmm. you can have the same source code, and let's say you're running in an environment for whatever reason doesn't support WebAssembly, you could just compile it then to JavaScript instead and call it a day, um, which is like, kind of I think is a testament to how similar these two languages are. Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah. Well, that's portability too, right? That's really yeah. actually that's kind of cool. Um, so yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about the ecosystem um, and sort of the community around it. I mean, that is a huge thing. Where again, things grow when you know a stack overflow is a lot of people's friends right so if you can't get your mm-hmm. questions answered there um or you can't google for some of these things so i know you said you've got you know the ecosystem is growing and there's and you've written a bunch of blog posts and there's a bunch of other people working in this um but if i'm if i'm out there and i'm working on assembly script like am i going to be able to find a lot of blog posts on this or is this still very very sort of early
1: yeah so um i think it's probably like a little 50 50- 50. Um, not like that it's that early. um. So I guess the reason why I'm saying 50-50 is because there's not like swaths of people in Stack Overflow. Right. They're all AssemblyScript experts that can answer all your questions. Um, <laughs> there's definitely the community is a little tighter. So, you know, we have a Discord server and we have a help channel that's like very active. Like if you want to have a question asked by the person that writes AssemblyScript, yeah, they're there like almost ready to answer any questions. I'm there. Um, Our team's about like four to five people i you know i'm sorry sixth person that i you know, <laughs> but you know we're all there and we i check at least like maybe every couple you know whenever i have downtime at work i'll check and see is there anyone asking any questions right so yeah. there's a tight community on our discord um in terms of blog posts there's a lot of blog posts assembly script the, re- the only reason why i'm 50 50 there is because the project has grown really fast so mm-hmm. like there are some blog posts even that I've given that's like, hey, here's how you use pointers in assembly script. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. not everyone wants to do that. Now it's right, like right. we have a much mature, more mature runtime garbage collector system and stuff. So your mileage may vary depending on like what blog, like there's a lot out there, yes, but like yeah. maybe fifty percent of them are still like very relevant to like the assembly script you would write today. Um, if right. that makes sense. Or maybe yeah. they're like, here's how you write your own JSON thing, but now there's a package for it. So like yeah. you
0: don't do you know. What I mean? <laughs> so yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. Hi everyone, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor Epsigon. Epsigon enables teams to instantly simplify, visualize, and understand what's happening within their complex microservice architectures. With their comprehensive lightweight auto instrumentation, users are able to eliminate the gaps in data and manual work associated with other APM solutions, providing significant reductions in issue detection, troubleshooting, and resolution times. Epsilon aggregates and correlates data from all the third-party tools you love, delivering a single pane of glass for understanding serverless, containers, Kubernetes, and more. Engineers now know when something is wrong and can immediately trace issues to root cause before they affect production. Increase developer efficiency and reduce application downtime with Epsilon as a special for serverless chats listeners If you try out Epsilon and connect your first trace today, they'll hook you up with one of their awesome t-shirts Check it out at Epsilon.com slash serverless chats I mean have people been using this like have are there some success stories here? Like have been people successfully building applications with with assembly script
1: Yeah, so if I might do a first, the first one, so just going chronologically in my head, (laughs) the first one, if I may, a little self-plug here, is that the reason why I got involved in the project was because I was really excited about WebAssembly when I heard about virtual performance and like, Liam, I was like, oh, I got to get on this like ASAP. So one thing I like to do is build emulators because Mm -hmm. I think they're really good at stress testing any new technology because you need graphics, you need audio, you need to make sure that it runs fast enough, (laughs) you know, things of that sort. So I would built in a Game Boy emulator called Wizenboy um, in assembly script And like, it's really early days where I was just like, pointers, memory, stuff's moving. Right. But because it was a Game <laughs> Boy emulator, like that's what you have to do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, it like, we found a lot of bugs in the project and we worked through them together. And then, yeah, that was probably like kind of how I guess maybe got known in the WebAssembly community early on. It was mm-hmm. like, you're the dude that built the Game Boy thing. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh that's probably the first one. Um, probably the most recent one I can think of as of recently in terms of like com- just general community is there's someone named Marcel Dwin I hope I said their name right. But they work on like a storyboarding application. I think it's called Mike mm-hmm. Creo. And they wrote a whole article about how, you know, they were using JavaScript and kind of like, think think, uh, Canvas at the time and things like that. And they mm-hmm. have taken all those hot paths, those things that like were computationally intensive and rewritten them in AssemblyScript and started using WebGL and stuff, kind of just updated the application to like, kind of modern day, but the summer script was a huge part of that. And they wrote an article about like, yeah, I could read it. It made sense. It like, you know, compared to alternatives, I didn't have to like learn a whole new language. It was like, right, right. they had a really good experience with it. And I think I'm like 99% sure, just on the article up right now, but <laughs> they <laughs> shipped it to production and like their, their users are happy and they saw huge performance increases from just the nature of WebAssembly because they used it in the right places and things. So that's really exciting. And then probably um, more recently today, uh, Fastly, has been using mm-hmm. assembly script that's one of our supported languages on computed edge so we've had you know it's still in beta and we've had some customers try it out and we've had some really good feedback about it and some folks really like it again because it's like hey look i i know javascript this isn't too much of a transition for me right cool you right. <laughs> know thank you right. um so that's really exciting and then i know shopify publicly announced they've been playing with AssemblyScript script a lot i know from being on the team we t- chat with them a bit but i i don't want to get too into their business but are <laughs> not you know i'm I'm very happy for them, but I would redirect you over to like what they've said, just so I don't say any wrong right, things, <laughs> yeah, but they're trying us out as well, which is really exciting and uh, shipping stuff. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah,
0: awesome. So it sounds yeah. like wasm and uh, and and Wazzy and all these things, assembly script, all these things are are coming together. it's growing. it's it's becoming more solid, like you said, you know, you know, you wrote some blog posts where it was like really low level stuff. And then you started building ways that make that easier. So Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, there's still some limitations uh, in here. You know, it's probably not the right choice for everybody, but I'm excited about it because I think that it could change like a lot of things. But I guess, you know, maybe since you work on this team and you're part of this (laughs) ecosystem, like what's the future? Like where, where do you think this is going to go? And are we going to get to a point where, um, you know, we can kind of use this for pretty much, you know, just everyday stuff?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so the first one that I'd probably be most excited to bring up is this idea of nano processes. So that mm-hmm. you know, sounds sounds really flashy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I'm not the one championing this. I'm not the you know the main person behind this. I would very much redirect you to Lynn Clark's talk, um, who gave a talk about this idea um, Wasm Summit of last year. But from how I interpret it, uh, nano processes has this idea of that there's this concept of shared nothing linking. So ex- For example, in the NPM ecosystem, if you have an NPM module that requires another NPM module, and this top NPM module is like, hey, look, I want access to everything that NPM or Node provides. And then this bottom module, and, you know, for some reason, this module is like, I'm going to throw some things on global because I feel like it. And Mm -hmm. the bottom module is like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to figure out some way to get required by this person. That way I can start accessing the things that I didn't have to require. Therefore, I look okay from a security perspective, but I'm taking advantage of, you know some of the JavaScripty type things that uh, mm-hmm. npm allows, and that's you know we've had a lot of like security I guess scares that they were valid scares because of like, things <laughs> in the npm right. ecosystem, kind of because of this problem. So the idea of shared nothing linking is that um, in the future we're hoping that NP- WASM modules can import other WASM modules. From that you, know, you have to declare again from the host call or whatever it may be that like I want these specific things. So we can Mm -hmm. figure out like, okay, you know, when we run in the runtime, we know you only need access to files. You don't need access to machine learning, you know, whatever, crypto, you you don't need access to that. Your parent module has access to that, but you don't need it. So we're only going to make sure you only have access to those things. Not everything that your parent needs, only what you need. Um, So you start to, this creates a really good thing. So that way you're not like escalating out of NPM Wasm modules to new Wasm modules, because, you know, you're really only linking what you need and not like the whole everything. Um, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. <laughs> and another cool. big one is interface types. Um, again, so we're already on this topic of, like, WASM modules, importing other WASM modules, and, you know, linking together and things. Um, so, you know, not every language is the exact same We talked about this language, autisticness of WebAssembly. You start to see a problem where it's like, well, you know, Python strings are different from JavaScript strings that are different from Rust strings that are different from, you know, Java strings. What do we do? Um, so, this idea of interface types. So, pretty much, A specification for like, Hey, look, if we know, you know, your language uses UTF-8 and this language uses UTF-16, let's figure out a way so that like when y'all talk to each other, there's not a huge performance cost that needs to be paid of re-encoding every single time y'all like go back and forth between each other. Or if you never, like, if you just take a string and you just pass it to a third WebAssembly module, we shouldn't have to re-encode it from like UTF-8 to UTF-16 to back to UTF-8. It should just go straight through. You know what I mean? Um, so trying to like specify that and, um, Find a way where we can standardize that, so that like you know WebAssembly stays fast in that regard of like passing memory around between other WebAssembly modules, and kind of leading towards that like you know m- I was you know take a little grain of salt, but that npmness of like you know right. everyone just kind of like connecting these packages like Legos that build a bigger picture and a better structure of using community and open source and things. Um, right. So yeah, and then let well, me try to think. And then probably Was oh, there anything another-
0: on like anything on performance? I mean, I know that performance is pretty good, but like any yep, any updates <laughs> or ideas for performance.
1: <laughs> yeah. so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you. Um so yeah, one of the big ones is SIMD. So uh I t- my buddy uh one of the champions for it, if I'm not mistaken, or one of the most involved people is Thomas Lively. And they gave a really funny talk in which, you know, SIMD, what it stands for, is single instruction, multiple data. And I, like the, I can't explain it over video, but the idea is that, like, <laughs> pretty much they're like, hey, we have this, you know, we want to, like, let's say, um, we have this four different, like, a vector of numbers, like, array of four numbers, and we want to add them all to another four numbers. If we were to do that in JavaScript, we'd be like, okay, well, array zero plus array zero of this one, because the new array zero, array one of mm-hmm. array one, because a new one. And then in their slides, they were like, but we have simd, we just add them directly. And it equals the new result. And you know it's faster because it took less slides to explain that than <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you're going to array zero to array zero. Um, so that's really the idea is that like if you had a vector by, you know, the mathematical terms, but like if you had an array of numbers and you want to add them to another array or do the same single instruction to multiple data, it just mm-hmm. does it all at once. And um, it's, you get lots of performance benefits out of that. Um, so kind of getting that working in WebAssembly, it has like a ridiculous number of like, different instructions to like, because you have to think like, OK, well, if I have an i32 that's six long, versus like, it just right. creates a lot of WebAssembly instructions. <laughs> I'm probably rambling a little too much. And then yeah, I had fine. one more note, um, and threads. Well, threads is another big Yeah,
0: threads. One. I was curious about yeah. that, because I, I didn't ask you that earlier. And I'm just wondering, is it, when Wasm runs, uh, is it is it single-threaded, multi-threaded? Mm-hmm. Like, can it do multiple threads? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so as of today, uh, WebAssembly is all synchronous, and it's all single-threaded. Mm-hmm. Um, in the JavaScript, you you know, I I've given a lot of talks about this. Um, if you use Web Workers, which kind of unlocks multiple threading on the web with WebAssembly, that is like the performance, like chef's kiss. Of like, <laughs> yes, if you're <laughs> building, a, if anyone out there is building a computation-intensive web app, Web Workers and WebAssembly is like a match made in heaven. Um, but um, for a lot of folks out there that wanted you know, maybe are porting over a larger C application, um, for example, threads is like kind of you know, just launching off threads in WebAssembly itself is something that a lot of folks are excited about. If I remember correctly, Google um, last Google I/O or Chrome Dev Summit, or whatever it may be, VLC has been talking about a port to the web and kind of what they're doing there. And um, they're really building a lot of their kind of their port on top of WebAssembly threads, which a lot of folks at Google are like kind of like doing a lot of specification work there. Um, so it just kind of shows like, hey, look, now we can like watch, you know, whatever random video format in <laughs> the browser, rather <laughs> than only the supported ones, using a VLC port. Um, so yeah, and also again, I'm not an expert on the work at VLC, so. You know, we can do some Google searches or I can send a link or provide more <laughs> research later. But <laughs> yeah. So right. That's super exciting. So yeah.
0: Right. And I and I mentioned earlier, um, you know, this idea of like an NPM type thing, but like is it possible? Because this is another thing where you know I like about Serverless is that you can write one function in Python, or another function in JavaScript, and another function or Node, and then another function in Java or whatever, and and of course they're they're isolated, so they don't have to necessarily mm-hmm. necessarily um, uh, you know run together. So you can use those different runtimes. But um, is that something that's possible? Like if if somebody wrote a um, uh, you know wrote a, a WebAssembly script in um, Rust and compiled it down, and then somebody else wrote one in um, you know assembly script uh, are those able to kind of work together
1: so that's the future we're definitely headed towards and we're really excited about there is a specification I mentioned earlier about the whole a web module requires another WebAssembly module we're hoping right. with a spec called a uh, module imports which more of you know we're working on it so <laughs> for me but uh, so essentially you wouldn't have to have all assembly script or all Rust once they compiled a WebAssembly. Then they can say like okay well we're both WebAssembly now so let's Mm -hmm. like import each other it doesn't matter what our source code Uh language was um so module imports is hoping to solve that problem and once we kind of get more of these things standardized out while you know things are still young that's kind of the future we're headed towards of which like my dream thing as you know seems like for you as well is like oh i would you know personally I love all the work that Python does in the machine learning community, mm-hmm. but I just, it's just Python's not for me. Right. <laughs> I <know. laughs> but I would love to access all the cool things they're doing over there. Right, but right. As, as a primarily JavaScript developer, I'm like, oh, you know, well, I'm gonna go play with Dom. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, and, that, <laughs> not and to that's like actually, downplay myself,
1: but you know what no, I mean? no, 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 like,
0: but no, but that's interesting yeah. because that's the kind of thing where I mean, think of like a global NPM, you know what I mean? Where it's like, mm-hmm. it's just some functionality was built. And if you can pull that in to, you know, maybe, maybe you're a, an assembly script person because um, it, that's just, your, you know, that's what you're familiar with, but you can't make assembly script do some sort of complex, you know, uh, crypto thing or whatever that maybe some other language could and compile down because it's either further along or whatever it is. Uh, being able to share those across, uh, you know, across applications and, and reuse those, I mean, that sounds, sounds pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it sounds super exciting. I mean, definitely, I think that's the future we're headed towards. Um, as a community, we'll, we'll see what gets announced here and there and things. Um, and I, again, there are some folks trying it out already, like kind of this idea, but yeah, no, we'll see. I, I really, again, also as you very bullish on this idea of like, yes, we can like totally <laughs> have this cross, like, you know, it's no longer are we bounded to our languages? It's yeah. like we just write code and we can all be one large ecosystem. It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to it.
0: Cool. So um, yeah. I want to ask you one more thing, though. So like, let's say that I'm a, I'm a developer, I'm listening to this um, and I say WebAssembly sounds amazing. How how would I convince my development team or more importantly, probably my boss? Like, how would I convince them? Hey, this is something we should we should start investing in.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so I the thing that's about WebAssembly that's really interesting and I get asked this often, it really depends on what you're doing like we've maybe covered like, oh, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this. So it depends what your area is. Um, For web applications, definitely if you're building like an application that does computationally intensive things, um, like maybe you're working on like an online photo editor, whatever it may be. Um, Maybe you're working on like a spreadsheeting tool where you have to do complex math functions. Um, Just kind of like understanding really where WebAssembly fits into an application. That's where you can start to make the pitch to your boss. So if you're really excited about this right now, I would say uh, I have some resources that I've built called um, WASM by Example, which is how you can get started with little bite-sized examples of WebAssembly. But another one is made of WebAssembly. Um, these, so WismbyExample.dev and then made with WebAssembly.com. Made know, WebAssembly is just kind of like a showcase of a bunch of folks using WebAssembly in production and side projects, kind of like pushing like, okay, well, what's WebAssembly good at? These are some examples. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if you can go on with WebAssembly and you're like, oh, my app does something similar to that you know, maybe you're on the right track. Maybe it's worth considering for um, what your team needs and things. Um, So yeah, I guess really just understanding what what someone's good at and then see how can we fit this into our application is probably your best bet because then then you can make a solid argument for why.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to put all of that information in the show notes. Um, I know there's a bunch of links that you have and all kinds of really good documentation and just good ideas, like you said, you know, if you want to convince your boss or whatever to use it. Um, so I'll make sure I get all that in the show notes. But, uh, but Aaron, thank you for sharing this. This was super exciting because I just don't know enough about this stuff. So anytime I can, I just love sort of learning this stuff. Um, and I'm super excited about the computed edge stuff. I think yeah. WebAssembly is such a, great, um, such a great packaging format for that. Um, but uh, um, I'll put some of those other links you mentioned in the show notes. But if they just want to find out more about you, um, how do they do that? Yeah, totally.
1: Um, probably the best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. <laughs> um, so my username is torch2424. Just as a quick, so people ask me why I got on the internet really young when I was like six. Torch was my imaginary friend. And then 24 is my favorite number when my kid brain was like, you know, it's better than 24, 24 twice. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hopefully that story helps drive up my name. But yeah, I'm on Twitter most of the time. Um, uh, yeah, probably reach out to me on Twitter. Probably the best. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I've got,
0: I've got you, uh, I've got your LinkedIn here. I've got your GitHub, which is Torch2424 as well. Check out Fastly.com, um, and everything that, uh, your team is working on over there. Um, and then I, I think, you mentioned the, um, the Bytecode Alliance too, right? So that's just BytecodeAlliance.org, um, Mm -hmm. probably some great information there. And then I'll get, I'll get everything else in the show notes so people can check the stuff out, uh, give them some weekend reading to do, but, uh, thanks again, Aaron. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I super appreciate it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to keeping touching and things.
0: And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Aaron Turner for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, New Relic and Epsilon. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 93. For more serverless chat, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily, and if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.